0: Welcome to Mystery Books Podcast. I'm mystery author, Sarah Rosette. This is season five, episode one, and it's all about Murder at Archley Manor. Murder at Archley Manor was published in 2018, and it's book one of eight in my High Society Lady Detective series. Now this is season is going to be a new format for Mystery Books Podcast. We're going to go through Murder at Archley Manor one chapter at a time. And I have a section at the end of each book called The Story Behind the Story, where I share a little bit of information about the inspiration and the research and some of the character ideas and things that went into the book. I hear from readers that they really love this section. So I'm bringing that story behind the story section to the podcast for season five. We're mixing it up with this new format And we're going to take a chapter-by-chapter look at Murdered Archley Manor. Each week in the intro, I'll give some behind-the-scenes details about the chapter of the week. It could be something I discovered while researching or the inspiration behind a character. Uh, But I'll also share what I'm reading and watching, so you'll still get my book and mystery TV recommendations. And then once we're done with the intro, I will include a chapter from the audiobook, which is narrated by Elizabeth Klett. So let's get into it. This week, I'm going to do chapters one and two so that you can get a good taste of the book. And then after this, it will be one chapter. So for this week, um, in my intro, let me tell you about the book I've been reading. Um, It's called Your Turn, Mr. Moto, And the author's last name is spelled M-A-R-Q-U-A-N-D. I'll have a link in the show notes. It was published in 1935, and it's actually a spy novel. Now, um, I found it fascinating because it was a look at... The attitudes, sort of a little time capsule of attitudes of things that were going on in 1935. It's got some gorgeous descriptions of Japan and Shanghai Harbor, and it was a really fun story. I tend to gravitate more towards mysteries, but this was a really fun spy novel. It was really quick-paced, and I will be looking for more uh, Mr. Moto books. Okay, so let's get to the inspiration behind the series. I figured that would be a good place to start for chapters one and two of Murder at Archley Manor. Now, this series grew out of another series that I was writing called the Murder on Location series, which takes place mostly in a fictional English village called Nether Woodsmore. At the time, I was thinking about writing a historical. I'd read The Secret Adversary and several other 1920s mysteries, and I was just toying with this idea kind of, kicking ideas around, trying to figure out how I could do that. Um, But part of the thing that held me back was the thought of creating a whole new story world set in the 1920s. I found writing historical fiction a very intimidating idea, and I was a little overwhelmed at the thought of everything I would need to learn about the 1920s and then how I would be able to create that world. Um, But then I realized that I already had an English village. (laughs) So in the Murder on Location series, there is the Nether Woodsmore village. And I thought, well, what if my book is set in Nether Woodsmore? What would what would it have been like in the 1920s? And, you know, that was kind of the thing that pushed me over the edge into writing historical mysteries. Because once I had that setting, I was like, okay, I can, I already know this setting pretty well and know some of the 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 pub in uh, Parkview Manor and the different parts around the village. I was like, I can start with this, and use this as a base, and learn what I need to about the 1920s as I research and kind of layer that into the setting I already have. And that just made me feel a lot better about writing uh, historical fiction. Now I decided that the main character, Olive Belgrave, would be a relative, a cousin of the inhabitants of Parkview Hall, in the Murder on Location series. Parkview Hall is this beautiful, well-preserved English country manor. And the inspiration for it came when I visited Chatsworth House in Derbyshire. And it was just such a beautiful place. And I was like, I could write about this. I just loved it. And so I wanted to include it in the Murder on Location series. So that's what I used it for. So I decided Olive would be a relative. She'd be a cousin of the inhabitants of Parkview Hall. So she's associated with them, and she moves in their circle, but she's cash-strapped. That would be called stony in the language of the 1920s, which is a great jumping-off point for the novel. And um, it was a lot of fun to take that modern-day world that I created, this fictional country village with a stately home and take that back to the 1920s. So that's just a little tidbit about Murder at Archley Manor and how the story idea first came to me. So let's take a listen to Elizabeth Clutt narrating the first two chapters of Murder at Archley Manor.
1: Chapter One I didn't intend to become a lady detective, But when one's relative is swept into a police investigation, and the outcome looks rather grim, well, one can't stand aside. One must do something. The tragic death at Archley Manor was widely reported in the newspapers. The coverage wasn't surprising. A murder in high society always draws attention. Unfortunately, the articles were a combination of exaggeration and innuendo— which is why I felt I must set down the facts. London, summer 1923 One might suppose a well-bred young woman with a good education wouldn't have any difficulties finding employment, at least that's what I'd supposed, but I discovered those assumptions were wrong, quite wrong. On an overcast morning in late July, I had stepped off the train from my little village of Nether Netherwoodsmore into the bustle and busyness of London, confident that within a few days I would be one of that fascinating breed, the working girl, striding off to put in a day's work, knowing a paycheck was not long off. My view of the situation had been quickly brought into line. It had been a rather abrupt descent from the heights of my expectations to the depths of reality. "'I had become familiar with the shallow veneer of apology "'that accompanied the words, "'Sorry, but we don't have anything for you. "'But today would be different. "'I was seated on the other side of the desk from a newspaper editor "'as he looked over my article. "'His closed office door barely muted the clacking typewriters "'and the loud conversations from the newsroom. "'I realised I was twisting my handbag in my lap,' "'causing the decorative beads to strain against the threads that held them in place. "'I released my grip and pressed my gloved hands against the folds of my skirt. "'Mr. Clark, editor of the Express, "'hadn't even bothered to perch his pan-snay on his nose "'to read the sample article I'd laboured over the night before. "'Holding his glasses in the air a few inches in front of his eyes, "'he skimmed down my handwritten story that described the Duchess of Seton's Ball,' The fact that his lips didn't twitch meant he didn't even get to the incident involving Barbara Claremore's sash, Kippy Higginbotham's nearsightedness, and the melting ice sculpture. He raised his head and extended the paper across the desk. "'I'm sorry.' I scooted forward to the edge of the chair. "'I'll work for you for a week for free.' He rattled the paper. "'The last thing I need is another society girl reporter.' Despite the mugginess of the day that made the room stuffy, a chill twisted through me. The newspaper was my last resort. I hadn't contacted Mr. Clark at the express when I first arrived in London. I'd applied for other jobs. Father would not be too pleased if I became a reporter. And Sonia... I could hear her strident voice, so unladylike, so unseemly, so beneath one of our class. Yet it was work I could do. I could write. If Essie Matthews, who never wrote one of her own essays at boarding school, could write a society column for the hullabaloo, then I should be able to land a job at the Express. Mr. Clark shook the paper at me again. You'll only clutter my desk. I kept my hands in my lap and leaned forward. A fortnight. Give me two weeks to prove I can do it. You won't regret it. He swept his pince-nez over his desk, nearly toppling a pile of papers several inches high. Do I look like I need more articles? His tone became more severe. I did a favour for Sir Leo. I spoke with you. "'Now I need to get on with my work.' He tossed down the paper. I stood. He remained seated, his attention already fixed on a typewritten page from one of the stacks. I was tempted to snatch up my article and tell him exactly what the Express would miss out on, but Mum's words rang in my ears. "'Good breeding always shows.' "'I picked up the article and resisted the urge to crunch it into a ball. "'I folded it neatly. "'Thank you for seeing me. "'I'll tell Uncle Leo what a pleasure it was to meet you. "'I don't know whether or not he picked up on the sarcasm in my voice. "'I didn't wait to see his reaction. "'I swept through the racket of the newsroom, "'but slowed when I reached the quiet of the wide staircase. "'Disappointment weighed down my shoulders— "'and worry gnawed at my insides. "'I could put on a good show for Mr. Clark for a few moments, "'but the reality was rather bleak. "'What was I going to do? "'Even with careful management, "'I could only stretch my funds for a little over another week. "'Soon I'd have nothing to pay Mrs. Gutler, "'and she'd been clear she didn't provide charity. "'That's for the church, not working women.' she'd said when I'd taken her poky little attic room. Two men hurried up the stairs to the newsroom, their faces intent. They both raised their hats, and I managed a brief nod as I continued down the stairs. Until I'd seen Mr. Clark's disinterested face, I hadn't realised how much I had been counting on working as a reporter.' I had canvassed every relative, friend, and acquaintance I could think of who might be able to help me find a job. Since Mr. Clark of the Express hadn't come up to snuff, I had no other options. No one had inquired about the position wanted advertisement I'd been running since I'd realized finding a job wouldn't be easy. I could only buy a newspaper and scour the position's vacant section again, something I'd done without fail for more days than I could count. As I rounded the landing and continued to the ground floor, I realized I still clutched my sample article in my hand. You could always go home? The thought whispered through my mind. It would be so easy to go back to Netherwoodsmore. I considered it for two steps. Then I stuffed the article into my bag. The bead swayed, and I shook off the thought of returning to Derbyshire. I wasn't going home. "'It wasn't home. Not any more. "'Not with Sonya pushing her way in "'and trying to erase every trace of Mum's existence at Tate House. "'I would just have to keep at it. "'I squared my shoulders and marched across the lobby, "'my heels clicking over the mosaic of a sunrise. "'I'd keep at it until my last shilling was gone at least. "'I pushed through the heavy glass door into the stuffy afternoon.' A thick layer of dark clouds trapped the heat, like a lid on a jar, sealing the humid air around the city. I trotted down the shallow steps and turned in the direction of the tube station, wishing that it would rain even though I'd forgotten my umbrella. A shower would clear the air. My steps checked as I passed a tea room. A hunger pang twisted in my stomach as I looked through the window at a table spread with scones, clotted cream little cakes and delicate sandwiches. I forced my feet to move. Threepenny worth of buns would have to do until the morning, when Mrs. Gutler would serve breakfast, and helpfully remind me how many days were left until rent was due. I bought a newspaper from the boy at the corner, then continued down the street toward the tube entrance, which was several blocks away. A few fat drops of rain plopped onto the sidewalk— Within a few steps they increased to a patter, and a crack of thunder split the air. The drops became an all-out deluge, and I scurried towards a fruit-stand awning, using the newspaper to shield the bit of ribbon and two ostrich feathers on my side-rolled hat. Rain splashed onto the back of my neck, and the white ties on my bow collar fluttered as I ran. Other pedestrians were also scurrying to cover— "'and I bumped into a dark-suited chest in the crush "'as I rushed under the edge of the awning. "'Pardon me. Excuse.' "'I looked up into familiar grey eyes under hooded lids. "'Jasper! I didn't know you were in London. "'I thought you were in... somewhere foreign. "'I can't remember where. Africa? Or was it South America? "'Don't you recognise me? It's me, Olive Belgrave.' "'His face cleared.' "'Olive, I haven't seen you in an age. "'You look so different with your hair chopped off.' "'We shook hands, and I said, "'It's so good to see you. "'You're looking well. "'And you.' "'As more people joined the crowd, "'I was pushed up next to Jasper "'with my nose nearly in his chest. "'I hadn't seen him for years, "'not since before the war. "'When my cousin Peter came home "'to spend the holidays at Parkview Hall,' he'd always brought Jasper along. Jasper's parents were in India, and Jasper said he preferred Parkview to shuttling between his various dotty aunts, as long as Aunt Caroline and Uncle Leo didn't mind him visiting, which they didn't. When I was fourteen, I'd had a tiny and short-lived crush on him, but he'd treated me exactly like he treated my other cousins, Gwen and Violet.' He'd never given me the easy win when we played croquet on the lawn. He'd never hesitated to cut me out at the tea-tray either, snatching the last bit of cake or sandwich just before I reached for it. Worse, he'd mastered the ability to instantly look as innocent as a cherub in a Renaissance painting after swiping it. His wavy fair hair and clear grey eyes had helped create the illusion of blameless innocence. But it was his innate charm that sealed the deal— especially with the women. Everyone from Aunt Caroline down through Cook to the lowliest scullery maid would do anything for him. But he was different now. Physically he'd come through the war unscathed. He had rotten eyesight and had been refused each time he tried to join up. He had spent the war working in the depths of some government building for the Admiralty. In one of Peter's rare bursts of conversation a few years ago, He'd said he'd had a letter from Jasper. Jasper had been demobbed and was now the gent about town. Even if Jasper hadn't spent time on the battlefield, he'd changed. Not as much as Peter, but lines marked his face around his eyes and mouth, replacing that cherub-like quality with something colder and more distant. From the occasional tidbits of gossip I'd heard, Jasper seemed to be living a bit recklessly— Running with the crowd of bright young people whose names often turned up in the society pages, and not in a good way either. The papers were all too happy to chronicle their excessive drinking and flamboyant displays of wealth. A man dashed under the awning and bumped Jasper's shoulder. We shifted an inch closer to the piles of apples. Last I heard, you were off in foreign places yourself, Jasper said. "'Your mum's alma mater in America, wasn't it?' "'I was. I'm back now.' Mum had been American. She'd attended a women's college before she'd visited England and met my father. Her short visit extended to months and eventually a wedding. She returned to the States for visits, but she'd insisted I should have a real education after attending finishing school with my cousin Gwen and coming out.' "'Mum was adamant that there was no better place for that education than her old university. "'I'd always thought it was just a fond idea of hers. "'So I'd been surprised when father had told me "'that she'd set money aside for my education before her death. "'It had been tucked away for years, gaining interest, "'and would be more than sufficient to fund my travel, tuition and lodging. "'The familiar simmer of anger burned in my chest at the thought of that fund,' It had been so securely watched over for so many years, and then to have it all gone, whisked away in a foolish investment. Despite all the chatter about dividends, potential, and interest, father might as well have tossed it on a bonfire. "'Didn't enjoy it?' Jasper's word snapped me back to the present. "'Oh, yes, I quite liked collegiate life. Suited me down to the ground.' but I had to return. Rain drummed on the canvas overhead, running in rivulets off the edges and splattering to the pavement. I shifted closer to a stack of cabbages to keep the splashes from soaking my beige stockings and panel skirt. Yes, I was sorry to hear about your father's illness, Jasper said. How is he? Quite well, thank you, I said, glad Jasper thought I was in England because of my father's health, "'not because I couldn't return to America. "'The truth about my financial situation was out "'in the little village of Nether Woodsmoor, "'but apparently the news hadn't travelled all the way to London. "'Father's still weak and has to take it slowly, "'but he's recovering. "'I'm glad to hear it, "'and I understand congratulations are in order.' "'The rain abruptly shifted to a light patter "'and a few people darted out from under the shelter of the awning.' "'I swallowed my true thoughts about my father's new wife "'and forced out the appropriate words. "'Yes, thank you. "'I'll pass your felicitations along.' "'The thought of Sonia always caused me to grimace, "'and I must not have completely succeeded in hiding it. "'The corners of Jasper's mouth turned up, "'and the skin around his eyes crinkled as he smiled, "'which took away some of the new severity of his face, "'making him look younger and more relaxed.' He tilted his head closer to mine. You don't have to pretend with me. Familial discord is a subject I have a long acquaintance with. I didn't hide that well. Must work on that. I looked around, but no one was paying attention to our conversation. He saw my glance and added, I'm rather good at keeping secrets, too. As I well know, I said thinking of a warm summer afternoon, the drone of bees, and the unexpected slap of cold water when I fell into the river. "'I'll add this one to the list,' he said in a confidential tone, and a familiar twinge of warmth glowed in my chest. Perhaps I wasn't completely over that crush. But that was silly. I was a grown woman, not a moony schoolgirl. It's not exactly a secret—' at least not at Tate House.' "'Ah, I see. Thus London,' he said. "'The grand city called to you, did she?' With an incredibly loud voice. His eyes, which could be so lazy and reserved, took on a piercing quality as he ran his gaze over me. I was very aware of my mended cuffs, and that my Cuban heels had definitely seen better days.' I took in the excellent cut of his suit and the quality of his gloves. Compared to his sartorial splendour, I must have looked down at the heels. "'I'm just on my way to tea,' he said. "'Will you join me?' "'That would be lovely.' He offered his arm, and we set off down the street. "'I passed a tea-shop not too far back,' I said. "'Oh, I don't think so. Far too plebeian.' not your style. He looked at me out of the corner of his eye. I do have a reputation to maintain. He smiled. No, that's not it at all. Re-establishing an old friendship calls for something a bit grander. The Savoy, I think. Chapter Two I savoured the last bite of peach melba and sighed with contentment. Once the food began to arrive at our table at the Savoy, the music and tea-dances and the hum of conversation faded out of my awareness. I didn't pay nearly as much attention to Jasper as I did to the scrumptious scones and the delicious cakes and sandwiches. I put down my spoon. That was delicious! So delicious, I'm afraid I haven't been a good companion. Jasper took a sip of his tea. It's perfectly fine. It's good to see a woman actually eat. I don't see how you society girls survive. Most exist on tea, champagne, and an occasional cucumber sandwich, and then they dance all night. It's astounding, really. It's these fashions. I gestured at my narrow dress. "'Everyone is reducing now. "'Of course, when one is hunting for employment, "'traipsing all over the city "'and scraping to make every shilling last, "'it's easy to fit into a frock like this. "'There was no point in trying to hide anything from Jasper now. "'Even though he lolled in his chair "'and his hooded gaze roamed over the restaurant lazily, "'he was astute. "'After my unladylike consumption of every morsel "'placed in front of me during tea,' "'He was perceptive enough to deduce my circumstances. "'He asked, "'Financial difficulties?' "'Haven't got a bean. "'Not really. "'I thought it would be easy to find a position as a governess, "'but it was the same every time. "'When I sent my references and explained my background, "'it always seemed so promising. "'But once I actually met the families, everything changed. "'No one was interested. "'I dare say not.' "'Why do you say that?' "'I doubt there are many mistresses who like the idea of inviting a young woman like you into their homes.' "'I lifted my chin. "'What do you mean? "'That I'm not qualified?' "'No, I meant you're far too attractive.' "'A blush heated my cheeks, and I toyed with my spoon. "'I'm sure that wasn't it.' "'Jasper laughed. "'Oh, I'm sure it was, old thing.' "'Perhaps if you hadn't cut your hair "'and were able to scrape it back in a tight bun "'and if you wore some dowdy clothes?' "'He tilted his head as he studied me. "'No, you'd never be able to disguise those eyes.' "'I raised my eyebrows, surprised. "'He wasn't speaking in his usual disinterested tone. "'He settled back in his chair "'and his voice shifted to a lighter note. "'That's where you went wrong, obviously.' You should have mentioned it all up front. Attractive female with arresting navy blue eyes seeks governess position. It would have saved you hours of bother. I shudder to think what sort of replies I would get to an advertisement like that. He grinned. Yes, of course. Totally inappropriate. Yes, in so many ways. I'm sorry. I shouldn't make light of it. He sobered. "'You've tried other avenues?' "'I shifted straighter in my chair. "'Clerk, shop attendant, cashier. "'But no one sees a young woman with classical education "'and extensive training in how to be a lady "'as a good candidate for those positions. "'My eyes are no help to me there either. "'I even applied to work as a domestic, "'but I was told it wouldn't do, "'that I would cause problems in the servants' hall.' "'Indeed you would,' Jasper leaned over the table. "'You'd be wasted polishing silver and answering the door. "'What you need is something that will let you use that first-class brain of yours. "'You always ran rings around me and Peter when your father tutored us. "'Unfortunately, no one else seems to think my brain is appropriate for their vacancies. "'If only I had trained to be a typist or secretary. "'I would enrol in a class to learn Pittman's shorthand—' "'but that will take longer than I have.' "'That desperate, is it? "'Surely you can return to Tate House?' "'No, I'm not going back there. "'It's awfully grim. "'Sonia, my stepmother, doesn't want me in the house. "'She's decided the local curate will do nicely for me.' "'Not a good specimen. "'He has a huge Adam's apple that bobs up and down "'in such a distracting manner "'that I can hardly think of anything else when I speak to him.' "'And then he's nervous and—well, to be perfectly honest, he perspires awfully. "'He's a nice fellow, but not for me.' "'Jasper took a cigarette case from his pocket. "'Yes, you need someone other than a sweaty curate.' "'He held out the cigarette case to me. "'No, thank you.' "'He snapped it closed. "'I'd forgotten your asthma.' "'He pocketed the case. "'No, it's fine.' "'It's gotten so much better in the last few years. "'Don't skip on my account.' "'Cigarette smoke did sometimes trigger a tightness in my chest, "'and occasionally, being under a strain, "'brought on a feeling of shortness of breath, "'but I'd had fewer incidents as I'd grown older.' "'Jasper shrugged. "'I'll wait until later. "'So you're determined to avoid Tate House? "'Sonia is such a managing female. "'She was a nurse.' You know how bossy they are. I'm sure that if I returned to Tate House, she'd manoeuvre it so that the bans with the curate or anyone else, would be read in a fortnight. And I won't have that. I won't be managed. I realised my voice was too strident and a few people had looked my way. I relaxed my shoulders and leaned back in my chair. I may have to sell the Morris. My birthday fell a few days after Gwen's, And for as long as I could remember, Uncle Leo had given us both the same gift. Last year it had been motors, Morris Cowley's. Mint green for Gwen and forget-me-not blue for me. It was far too extravagant. When I'd protested, he'd said gruffly, Caroline and I feel like you're one of our own. Let's not hear anything else about it. The motor was one of the few things of significant value that I owned. Well... "'other than Mum's Pearls, but I wasn't selling those no matter what. "'You have it in London?' "'The Morris. No, it's in Netherwoodsmore. In Dry Dock, so to speak. It's not running, and I don't have the funds to fix it.' "'Father was stony, and I wasn't about to ask Uncle Leo for the money. "'It was one thing to give a gift, it was quite another to have to maintain that gift.' "'It was probably fortunate it had broken down "'shortly before I decided to set off for London. "'I wouldn't have had the money to garage it in town. "'Have you thought of—' "'A shriek sounded behind my right ear, "'and a thin woman in yellow chiffon swept into view. "'She pulled up short beside Jasper's chair. "'A matching turban covered her head "'except for a few perfectly formed golden curls "'that curved against each cheek, "'framing her aquiline nose.' Cole lined her close-set green eyes, and her lips were bright red. Jasper, darling, what a treat to find you here. Jasper stood. It's a pleasure to see you as well. Lady Pamela, this is a good friend, Olive Belgrave. Olive, Lady Pamela Withers. Lady Pamela barely bothered to turn her head. Delighted. She tapped Jasper's arm. "'Now, do tell me you will be at Sebastian's silver and gold party.' She pointed a red lacquered finger at his chest. "'And don't tell me that you didn't receive an invitation, "'because I specifically told Sebastian to send you one.' "'Commanded it, did you?' Jasper asked. "'Of course. And Sebastian always does what I want. "'Most men do,' she said in an aside to me.' Not I, I'm afraid, Jasper said, "I have a previous engagement, Lady Pamela's red lips puckered into a pout. Break it off, you know, Sebastian's parties are divine. You can't miss it, darling. You'll regret it for ever if you do. Oh, there's thea, I must fly. She took a half-step away, then looked back over her shoulder, So nice to meet you, Olivia. "'Olive, Olive Belgrave,' I said, "'but Lady Pamela was already sailing away, "'her chiffon rippling. "'I raised my eyebrows at Jasper as he sat down. "'I have no excuse or explanation,' he said. "'That is the infamous Lady Pamela. "'I have heard of her. "'And probably not in a good way,' Jasper said. "'She runs with a fast set. "'About your speed, isn't it?' "'You ask too many questions, Olive.' "'On the contrary. "'We've talked about me the whole time. "'Terribly rude of me. "'Tell me what you've been doing since I saw you last.' "'Nothing of significance. "'I totter down to the club, then totter home most days. "'Occasionally I exert myself and go to a frivolous party. "'I'm frightfully useless. "'When the Communists take over, "'I'm sure I'll be one of the first sent to the gallows.' "'I don't believe that for a moment, that you don't do anything useful. "'I've known you for years. "'You might look as if you're lazing around, but your mind is always busy, "'planning and plotting. "'Now tell. "'I know you must do more than read the newspapers and play cards at your club.' "'His manner changed, and the easy rapport between us evaporated. "'Even though he didn't move an inch, "'it felt as if he'd physically shifted his chair away from me.' His voice was light, though. "'I assure you, I'm a boring old sod now.' "'I still refuse to believe that. Now, the truth.' His eyes narrowed. "'All right. Let me think. You mean something useful, I suppose?' "'Hm. Thought so.' He tapped the table. "'Here's something. I dabble in the arts.' "'You always were excellent at caricatures.' "'He looked shocked. "'Not me, my dear girl. "'I sponsor artists.' "'He looked at his watch, which was in the new style, "'a strap on his wrist. "'I'm afraid I must be going. "'Have to get to your club for your afternoon snooze?' "'Wicked girl,' he said. "'I should have known you'd make fun of an old man. "'Have you no respect for your elders?' I do, but you're far from elderly. As we departed the Savoy a few moments later, Jasper said in a serious tone, I'm sorry about your difficulties. I will keep an ear to the ground. For someone looking for a well-read and well-bred young woman with no typing or shorthand skills. Good grief! When I say it aloud like that, it's a wonder anyone would want to hire me. Don't sell yourself short. "'Right. I have a first-class brain. I'll be sure to put that in my situation-wanted advertisement, right under the line about my eyes.' He adjusted his hat. "'I can see now that you're not going to let me forget that, are you?' "'Never.' "'Very well. I'll let it be a reminder not to give unsolicited advice. It rarely goes down well. Giving advice, I mean. Solicited or unsolicited,' he said." but I didn't take him seriously, because he had a definite twinkle in his eye. He walked as far as the tube station with me, where we said goodbye. I rode home in a blissfully sated state. It had been weeks since I'd had a proper tea. When I arrived at the boarding-house, Mrs. Gutler handed me a small envelope. I hope it's not bad news. A cold wash of fear hit me. All I could think of was the telegram I'd received in America from Uncle Leo, with the news that Father was seriously ill, and I should return to England as soon as possible. We had all lived in dread of these little envelopes during the war. The words inside could change the course of one's life. Thankfully, the one that had arrived about Peter had informed us he'd been injured, not killed. But my cousin Gwen had received one from the family of her fiancé, With the news that he was missing. I ripped the envelope open before my thoughts could get carried away. It was from Gwen. Need your help. Urgent. Return to Parkview soonest.
0: That was the first two chapters of Murder at Archley Manor, which were narrated by Elizabeth Clut. This podcast will come out every other week, so I'll be back week after next with the next chapter. If you want to continue the story, you can get the audiobook, ebook, or print version of Murder at Archley Manor at sarahrosettebooks.com. So happy sleuthing, and I'll see you next time.